Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have author and filmmaker Colin Campbell, and Colin and I had a deep and profound conversation about grief and loss. I'll let him tell his story about the loss that he had in his life and how it changed him, how he was able to overcome this remarkable loss that is something I wish none of us ever have to deal with, but he is here to help us through dealing with grief and loss in a healthy way. So without any further ado, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Colin Campbell. How are you doing, Colin? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. I truly appreciate it. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about your amazing book, Finding the Words. Uh, oh. That is, uh, it is, it is, undescribable what what's going on in this book it has so many different emotional role it's an emotional roller coaster to say the least um yeah. so for um before we get started i, I want to ask you what was your life like prior to the loss of of ruby and heart so uh so i'm in los angeles and i was uh i've been an, an indie film director uh just doing some indie indie features and shorts and mostly actually acting as a professor. So I, I teach screenwriting at Chapman University and oh, nice. theater directing at Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, and, and then I was a dad. Um, I was mostly a dad. That's really kind of how I thought of myself. Um, and that was what my life was. Ruby was 17, Hart was 14. So there was a lot of like taking them to after school activities or hangouts with friends um yeah we'd go on family outings together we were we're basically chauffeurs uh, uh yes exactly <laughs> like chauffeurs. <laughs> so tell me about um you know for everybody who doesn't know what we're talking about who ruby and, and heart are they are your mm -hmm. children a past in an accident can you talk a little bit about what happened and what you would like to share about that yeah yeah yeah, so I, I actually prefer to refer to it as a crash rather than an accident, okay. uh, because you know, to my mind, the woman who who hit us, she was drunk and high, and it wasn't oh. accidental that she got drunk and high, and then she wasn't accidental that she got behind the wheel. Um, right. She she knew better, right? We all know better, but uh, she did it anyway. So I, I prefer to call it a crash. Um, and that that night, June June twelfth, we were on our way to Joshua Tree. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a little town in the high desert about two and a half hours east of los angeles sweet beautiful place that uh that the four of us loved we'd gone there many many times um and we were going there for for another little adventure um 
was kind of spontaneous. Uh, we all piled into the car and, and uh, that night was very, very exciting. Um, and, uh, and we just purchased a, a, a vacation home out there. It was like brand new. We, we just, we just said yes to it kind of, again, spontaneously. Uh, and then, you know, out of the blue, we were struck by this car going 90 miles an hour and Ruby and Hart were killed in the backseat. And my wife, Gail, and I were, were hurt. Uh, so we, we went to the hospital, but, um, uh, but Ruby and Hart were, were killed. So let me, let me ask you then, how did you, I mean, did you, you when you heard this information, it didn't ha- did you know at the, at the scene or did you hear about it later? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. Um, so I think we, I think we subconsciously knew in that moment. Uh, so we were both knocked unconscious. Uh, so we came to in the wreckage of a car uh, the other driver's car was like a hundred feet down the road on fire and in the back seat, Ruby and Hart were motionless. And, uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but, sure. um, you know, that it, it didn't look good. Um, and I, I, so people came and helped and then, and there was a lot of, um, a CPR given, um, by, by very diligent, um, uh, uh emergency uh, response people, EMTs, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were whisked off to the hospital. And then in fact, Hart was from one hospital, he was um, put in a helicopter and sent to a, a PICU unit, a, a pediatric intensive care unit, even further off. But I, I, but they died from multiple life ending injuries. So there was really no hope for them. And I, they never really breathed again. So, uh, so th- to my mind, they, they died on impact. Yeah. So as this hap- as this happened, how did you? I mean, I first of all, man, I'm a, I'm a father as well, so I can't yeah. even comprehend the grief uh, that yeah. you you and your wife went through. How did you begin to even find the strength to navigate this immense loss mm-hmm. in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Well. I say that I, I grew up in a in a family that was uh, grief averse, so <laughs> I feel like we don't. My family we didn't really deal with grief too well or too thoroughly. We kind of just sort of put it aside in a way. Um, uh, and here it was a case where we couldn't do that. It's too too catastrophic to just put aside. We I had to deal. We my whole family had to confront this loss, and I actually leaned on my wife's Jewish traditions. So I'm not Jewish, but my wife is Jewish, and, and we raised Ruby and Hart as Jews. They were born by mitzvah. Uh, we were active members of our temple, and uh, and and our temple was extraordinarily supportive of us in this moment. They really came came together and helped us. Um, but specifically, the Jewish rituals of mourning were eye opening to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm an atheist. So it was never about God. It was it was all about the practicality of how do you grieve? How, how do you, as you said, process this immense sudden loss? And so many of these ancient practices of the Jews really resonated with me. Like they made sense, like, oh, this makes sense. This helps me. Thank you. And one of the, one of the core elements is the idea that we don't grieve alone. We grieve in community. So, uh, so right after their, the funeral, there's seven nights of Shiva or at least the first mm-hmm. week. Um, and people come to your house every night and oh. sit with you. Right. Uh, so we had like 150 people coming into our house and sitting with us every night, night after night. 
And I found it was so helpful. At first it was like, no, right? right. <laughs> it's the last thing you want, you think, right? right. You want to be left alone. You're not gonna, people come into your house, no. But actually it was an amazing gift because I discovered, and Gail and I both discovered, we, we needed to talk about Ruby and Heart and our grief, just to process it, just to understand it, um, to not, not lose our minds. And it was so helpful to have this community of loving people there each night. And uh, the other thing that, that the Jewish tradition asks you to do is to say the mourner's Kaddish, which is just a, a mourner's prayer every day. But the trick is you can't do it alone. You have to do it with at least nine other people with you, uh, you know, a, a minion. Right. And so, and so that, tell, that asks us, the mourners, to literally grieve in public over and over and over again. <laughs> And it was so powerful and helpful, that idea, you know, you don't go away in a corner all by yourself and just be sad and, and despondent, but you grieve in public. And it was, uh, it was very powerful. That sounds so, um, I hate to use the word wonderful, but it seems so helpful. Uh, yeah. Because even when I grieved, when I had loss in my family, you know, just normal family members lose, like we all do in life. Uh, my, I come from the Latino yeah. tradition, and we have the one night, and mm -hmm. we go to dinner. We have that. We have we have a sit, uh, a wake. We go we go to the person's house, and God bless and good luck. Uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah, good luck. <laughs> I, I wish you the best with that, and maybe a few phone calls here and there. But you know, I think when we do grieve, we our first reaction, like you said, is to recoil mm -hmm. into a corner, and so you can literally, I think, almost self-destruct because your mind is going to destroy you you was that kind of what you were thinking was going to happen if it wasn't for all of this help yeah well it felt i felt really law untethered was the word yeah. i used a lot right. i feel right. untethered um just disconnected from meaning and purpose you know from life uh from my own identity like who am i without ruby and heart right uh and so I felt, yeah, just like drifting away <laughs> uh, into a, or, or falling into a chasm was another another sort of image that came to mind. Like we're just you know falling into a chasm of darkness. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to fall into that chasm. And so so that helped me. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I have to imagine that there was an immense amount of anger and rage during mm -hmm. this process. How yes. did you even begin to deal with that? Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting, anger and rage. Uh, <laughs> it's so mysterious to me in a way. Um, because on the one hand, it, it, it makes perfect sense. I'll be very angry at this woman who killed my children who, who got drunk and high and then was speeding going 90 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone right near her own home. So it's not like she didn't know the speed limit, um, didn't even know where she was going. Uh, but, but that's not really how it came out. It came out more just uh, at the universe, just this, uh, un, this bubbling rage at like un, the unfairness of it all. It just felt so, it still feels so unfair. 
And I'm not so good with anger. I don't know if anybody's good with it, but I definitely feel scared of anger. Um, I think in my in my regular life before the, my grief, I, I just sort of would often avoid situations where I, I'd make jokes, you know, to avoid the anger. That, that's not, I didn't really know how to handle my own feelings of anger. And, and I certainly still don't, but, um, but uh, I think my wife and I found a couple of tools that helped us. Yeah. And the, the one tool that, that remains helpful to me is this idea of, of kindness, kindness as an antidote to rage. Um, and the idea that if I start to feel that anger bubbling up in me, if I can act kindly to some stranger even, that helps me. It helps diffuse the rage. Um, and that's, that's been a tool that's, that's a constant for me in dealing with the anger, but also expressing myself. Like I, I wrote a very angry solo show uh, <laughs> called Grief, a One Man Shit Show, uh, which I, I performed a bunch of times in LA and New York, and I'm gonna keep performing it. Um, and that helps, <laughs> that helps me too. <laughs> well, as an artist, you get to use your artistic abilities as an outlet to, to process this. Some mm -hmm. people paint, some yeah. people write. I mean, some of the best songs ever, some of the best books ever right. were written out of grief and anger and loss. So it yeah. is, do you have any advice for people who are dealing in this, at this stage, at least of your process that yeah. they can kind of funnel this somehow? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's, that's a great approach to it you know we have all this bubbling emotion and when where does it go and if you can go if it can come out creatively i think that diffuses it uh and channels it and channels it away from your friends and family <laughs> because that so that's where it often unfortunately goes you know you start feeling rageful towards the people who are closest to you because they're close oh, to you <laughs> they're around you right. who else you can be angry at the people around you but those are the people that love you um and so, uh, so yeah, I think, I think even my, 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 I guess my advice would be that don't, don't think that it has to be great art. <laughs> <laughs> Just art. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you said, like some of the, the, the greatest songs ever written. And it's like, well, that's not, it could be daunting too. <laughs> like, I'm not going to write a great song. I just, but just write a crappy song about rage. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. That's my advice. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, did you also go through what are the what are the seven stages of, of uh, oh, what are they called? You know what I mean, uh, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So that that's not actually how grief works. Okay, tell um, me how you, from your from your yeah. from your on the ground. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. In the trenches, and, kind of perspective. Yeah, and and it's not not just me. I mean, if you read any you know contemporary book about grief or talk to anyone who who knows what they're talking about, um, you don't move through stages. Um, and so I, I, if you want to get technical, those stages were developed by uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when she was studying people who were at end of life. So they were in uh, hospice care, facing imminent death. And it seemed to her that they went through these stages in this, in this kind of in this order. Um, but it was a useful tool for her to break down what these people were going through. Um, and then she and, and David Kessler kind of a, a applied it to people who are grieving uh, in another. So the first book was on death and dying. And then on grief and grieving was where they applied it to people who are grieving people who died. But they say in that book very clearly, it's not meant 
to be interpreted as a stage you you go through and that they're distinct. You're not you're not angry and then you're done with anger, then you move on to <laughs> right. to you know bargaining denial. and then you move on to denial. Like that's not how it works. But because they use the word stages, I think people the popular culture has sort of gravitated to that idea that you do one you know one at a time and but no, you, you experience all those feelings all at the same time, multiple times a, a day, <laughs> and they don't go away. Um, so, yeah. So let me ask you, you know, you said earlier that you were an atheist after this experience mm -hmm. and, and all this, this tradition from the Jewish, uh, to Jewish tradition, have yeah. you changed at all in, in the sense of just the scope of the universe? And even if you're an angry, even if there is a God being angry at him, it's fine. It's just like, okay. is there something, is there some, has you, have you changed at all? And if you haven't, that's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe my ideas have gotten a little more expansive in the sense that I feel Ruby and Hart in me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I feel them, they helped shape who I am uh, to a remarkable degree. And so they're with me in that sense. Um, and I like to think about them now and again, like looking down on me. Um, but uh but I don't, I don't believe in a heaven or some God character who's making choices. <laughs> right. No, I don't. They're like, you know, they, God needed two more angels. And nope, <laughs> no, no, someone got drunk and high and killed my kids. That's what happened. Right. Um, but I know, I know that faith helps other people and, uh, and that's great. I think any, any help you can get when you're grieving is wonderful. So I don't want to put down anybody who, who does believe in heaven. That's wonderful for them um you know uh honestly uh anything any any way that we can get through grief is great or move through grief um but for me yeah no i don't i don't i don't believe any of that better place stuff can you uh tell me a little bit about ruby and heart yeah yeah thanks for asking <laughs> um you know i know everybody says their own kids are wonderful but my kids actually were <laughs> they were amazing um but Ruby was this incredibly talented artist. Um, she was she was brilliant. She was a, a voracious reader. Uh, and she and I would, would go see horror movies together. And then she would go and read the books. You know, so we sort of let the right one in. I think it's a Swedish horror film. And then she found the book that it's based on and she read that book. You know, we watched it, Stephen King's It, wow. and she read it. It's just a massive tome. Um, she just burned through books. Uh, she read literally twice as fast as I could read um and she was voracious about it so she was this brilliant mind um but then she discovered art very late in life and late in her life um and uh and and just was was brilliant and so i have i have her i have these drawings i have tattoos of her art so i can show right now real quick oh but that's amazing it's called like a that's koi cool. wolf yeah so yeah. she did these these two wolves um uh, that I just love, so I got them tattooed on me. Oh, but um, she uh, she did these wolves as if they were koi fish. So they used koi fish color patterns and gave them koi fish whiskers. It's uh, <laughs> she was a strange it's art. It's art. Art. Yeah, yeah. She was into it, and she did. She was also an amazing um, costume designer. So she did her own cosplay outfits for anime conventions. She loved anime and manga. Uh, and read the manga voraciously as well. Uh, and Hart was an amazing clown. He was this hilarious dude who just would do characters nonstop um, all day long. And so his friends were just endlessly charmed by him. He was an extraordinarily charming guy who just 
was the life of any party he was at. Um, you know, I remember going to a, a, one of his friend's house to pick him up, you know, after a sleepover or something. And, and, and they all conspired to hide Hart from me. So that, like, cause they wanted to keep him. Hart's not here. I'm sorry. We can't find him. I was like, come on guys. That's problematic. No. That's problematic. <laughs> We're not going to give him up. Um, but that's, that's how it was. Everybody, everybody wanted to be with Hart. Yeah, they were, they were both very magnetic human beings and very kind. And that continues to inspire me. So when I think about that, you know, kindness is an anecdote to rage. I, I feel inspired by them. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That is such a beautiful um, idea that kindness is the antidote to rage and anger because I mean, at the end of the day, it is about love, uh, you know, all forms of love. And if you could show yeah. that love to others, it it kind of douses the flame of anger a bit, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, during yeah. your, did you ever encounter any unexpected obstacles while working through your grief? Oh, that's an interesting question. Unexpected obstacles. Well, I mean, uh, it's just so much harder <laughs> than I than I would ever imagine? have imagined. Yeah, yeah, it's so painful. Um, but that's where that's where I discovered I had to go. I had to lean into the pain. So um, so it's so painful to see my friends with their kids all. You know, Hearts contemporaries are all graduating this year. To, to they're graduating high school, going to college. And all of Ruby's friends are now going into uh, what senior year of college, um, unless they took a year off, you know, because of COVID or whatnot. But um, but they're all in college. They're all becoming adults, you know. And it's beautiful, and it's so very painful. Uh, it just hurts so bad, um, and everything hurts so bad. You know, they're they're everywhere. Everywhere I look, I I see. Ruby and Hart, because they were here in my home and everywhere I go and out in the world, they were there too, or, or they weren't there. And I think about that, you know, if I go to a new place, they've never been, that also feels hard. Ruby and Hart never got to see this, you know. And that's never going to change ever. I mean, but, the, no. but what I find so amazing about you, uh, Colin, is that your bravery to not only, you know, we all go through griefs, not obviously nothing as extreme as yours uh but we all go through our own groups we're all gonna have loss in this life that's it like yeah. they say you're never getting out of this alive uh as they right. say so do you find that you because you put yourself out there i mean you you could have processed this and said okay yeah. kept it private move on with life and try to you know go through life but you wrote a book did a show you're still having these conversations, which I can't believe mm. were not difficult to do. I mean, bringing mm. this all back up, having these deep conversations, remembering you, why do you decide to go down this path as opposed to what other people, most people, I would say, the majority of people mm. would just go deal with the pro process and, and move on in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think maybe there's two, two thoughts come to mind. One is it, it was a very central part of my discovery of meaning and purpose. Um, you know, so life felt meaningless without Ruby and Hart. And I would go to all these grief groups 
and hear stories about other grievers feeling alone and abandoned by their friends and family. And I found, I feel like Gail and I found a way to keep friends and family close. Um, and, and I thought I had something to share that might help people. And that helped me, you know, the idea I might be of, of service to some other people. Um, people I, I suddenly care greatly about, <laughs> people who are in grief, suddenly became a lot more important to me mm-hmm. as humans. And um, as part of my post-traumatic growth. And so I, I, so I definitely felt that was, that helped me just staying alive. You know, I had a reason to do something. And the other part of it, I think, is, is again, leaning into the grief of it all to feel the love and joy, uh, to remember Ruby and Hart, to think about them. It hurts, but it's also good. Um, because the alternative just seems too bleak to, to just put them away in a box and not think about them. Um, so I, I try to find ways to bring them with me through life. So I'm here in life and I'm, I'm staying engaged. Uh, my wife and I are fostering to adopt two kids. Uh, so uh, they're 13 and 12 and, and they're full of teen issues. <laughs> so it's very <laughs> challenging, it's very challenging. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's who Gail and I want to spend time with. We want to spend time with teenagers. Um, so, uh, so we've chosen a very difficult path, um, but uh, and it's painful because you're thinking about you know Ruby and Hart all the time as we're parenting, because that's who we parented before. But um, I think that uh, I think that you know feel everything. Like there's a, a quote I I take in the I take in the book um, from from Rilke about uh, let yourself feel everything. Um, and that's what we're here on earth for a short time. And let's, let's feel the pain and the joy and they're intertwined anyway. Very much. Oh God, very much. So, so you, when you say meaning and purpose, this, this event that happened in your life has, are you using meaning and purpose as a, as a way to cope? Or do you believe that this was in a way kind of gave you because you you had a very successful career you were moving forward you, i mean it's not like you were sitting around you know not doing anything right right I, I don't mean i don't mean purpose in like a a large well i don't know what i mean by purpose i i, I do know what i mean i mean like i mean like uh combating meaninglessness okay you know so so finding my meaning and purpose is like just staying engaged in life and not giving up on life uh, not, not, not giving into despair. Yeah. I think despair can seize people in grief. I think it does inevitably. Um, and we all have to find our way out of it, out of that despair. What I find really interesting about your process and what you're doing is that you are a lot of people, when we go through grief, we, we do hide in a dark room Mm -hmm. uh, and we do put it in a box and we put it and we don't deal with it where you are dealing with it every day, bringing it into the light every day. And it is painful and it is, but it is less painful than if you just try to put it away or try to not shine light on the situation. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's exactly true. I think that's a, that's the irony of it all is that it, you know, I think people who try to box it away and not deal with it are actually going to feel more pain, more suffering ultimately. Um, 
It's the sort of short-term, long-term situation, I guess. Nobody, nobody in the immediate moment actually wants to feel the pain, but if we don't let ourselves, then over time, it, it, I think we, it leads to more suffering. Yeah. Uh, was there something that you wish someone would have done for you during the worst part of this grieving process? Yeah, I think um, I got a lot of people reaching out to me uh, a lot. We had a beautiful community uh, and Gail and I found ways very quickly to tell them what we needed. Um, and, and we got so much love. We still get so much love all the time. You know, Father's Day is a tough day, complicated day for me. And I got so many messages of love and support from so many different people who are, who are thinking about me. Um, but I still want more. You know, I think I think that um, I think that uh, even though I, I got so much, I get so much love, um, I could always have used certainly in the in the darkest of days used used more. I think we all can. Um, I, I've never been to a grief group where someone has said, I get too much love and support from people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> so, um, I've never heard someone say there's so many people who want to talk about my dead loved one that it just is tiring. I, I've never heard that. So, um, yeah, I it's, think, it's, I think we could all use more. It's kind of like as being filmmakers, you never hear the term. All you have is time and money. Like you never, <laughs> right. as much time as you need and as much cash as you want. Right. You'll never hear that statement anywhere on this. Right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, so were there any tools that you discovered along your way to help you deal with grief besides some of the things we've already discussed? Yeah. Um, well, grief groups, I sort of alluded to it, but that was a very useful um, tool. And those, those people in those grief groups are still friends of mine. Um, and they, and that, that helps me immensely. Um, journaling was very useful to me. I journaled every day for the first year after the crash. And so in my book, I talk, I, I offer a lot of journal prompts um, in case someone feels stuck. Um, but uh, that was helpful to me just to sort of, my journal entries, I think were not very interesting. They're just sort of spouting out my thoughts. And sometimes I just swear a lot, you know, but it helped me. It helped me to just understand what was happening, I guess, or just to process it, start to understand it. Um, and, and rituals. Rituals were were hugely helpful to me. They still are. Uh, every time there's a you know a holiday comes up, uh, you know, Father's Day, uh, their the day of their deaths, the day of their births, um, Valentine's Day, they all pose a real problem for me and my wife. You know how are we going to get through this this holiday? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. now back to the show and we often lean on rituals um doing something sometimes inviting people in our community to do it with us but some kind of activity that keeps us engaged with others in the world uh, and thinking about Rumi and heart as opposed to just retreating and suffering you know <laughs> which is what it feels like oh boy here comes you know what are we going to do this year the day of their deaths ah it's going to be so horrible and this year, what we did is we started uh, our foundation for Ruby and Heart called the Ruby and Heart Foundation. And we're raising money to send, uh, to support this organization called um, WAAC, which sends writers to underserved schools across America to read aloud 
to kids and then give them all free books. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, Ruben Hart loved reading. Um, and we have these little book plates made. I don't have one right in front of me to show you, but sure. super, super cute. Um, and it's called, you know, this book belongs to, and there's a blank for the kid to write their name in it. And then it's a gift from Ruby and Hart. Um, and the idea that the books all across America with little stickers, you know, from Ruby and Hart to kids to help, help them have access to reading, which is so key, um, uh, is really beautiful and meaningful for my wife and I, we're both writers. So. The one thing you said about the journaling, I find that that it seems at least that at least when I've gone through whatever things I've gone through in life, it's like this energy inside of you just starts to build up and it it Mm. boils up and it could get to anger. It could be sadness. It could be despair, but it's energy. There's some sort of, you know, without Mm -hmm. getting too woo woo, something is happening inside of us. (laughs) And if you do not release it, like you said, you'll snap at people near you. You it, journaling seems like you said, I just curse sometimes I journaled too. And I was just like, <laughs> you, you son of a bitch. Like, and I just would like literally <laughs> spew out because if I don't, it would be kind of like a toxic, I'm releasing the yeah. toxins in a way. Is that fair? That's what it felt like to me. Exactly. Right. I feel like things would build up and I'd have to just like, it's like vomiting almost. I had to get it out. Uh, and sometimes it was just like, I had to weep. Like I, I wouldn't be crying for a couple of days and then build up and I just have to have a session of weeping. Uh, and then also the same, the anger and frustration and I had to have a session of writing, just get it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I we agree. all don't have to be, and all of us don't have to be artists to do so. I mean, journaling is no. a perfect example. A good cry, man, I can tell you, a good cry really <laughs> help. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's amazing what a good cry can do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just feeling those feelings and not um, being too afraid of them because they're scary sometimes, those feelings. So from your point of view now of being the person that people helped, what advice do you have for the people around someone who is grieving? What should they do? What advice yeah. do you have? Because it is not taught in school. It is no. not something that generally is on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> it is not a skill set that you know, and then there's cultural biases, community biases, you know, mm-hmm. historical, but there's so many different things. It's not a one size fits all. So what advice would you give for people yeah. who are trying to help someone in a, grief, in a grieving process? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a lots of advice. <laughs> please, <laughs> well, please. One is that, um, you know, I think take the pressure off what you're going to say to them because you're not, the goal is not to fix them or fix their grief or take away their pain, because you can't, that person's dead, you can't bring them back to life. So the, anytime you, that someone tries to, to help somebody with that mindset, they're inadvertently minimizing the pain, because they're trying to take it away. They're trying to like, reassure the person like, don't don't feel too bad, you know, because and then that's, that's bad. <laughs> that's going to in, invariably piss this person off, because you're saying things that are kind of insulting or minimize the door you could have another kid right you could you could you could marry somebody else like literally these are people people hear these things i i i didn't but but i I know grievers who have um especially people who lose very young children you know they're that that's a classic someone says no you can have another kid don't worry about it like they're just trying to get married they're they're trying to help right but don't but no (laughs) don't try and fix the pain or take away the pain just be there for the person 
Just say you love them and you love the person who died if you do, if you knew them, um, and, and share a story about the person who died, but mostly be there for that person to talk to you, you know. I want to I want to go for a walk with you and 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 talk and and hear listen to what you have to say. Um, I think that's the greatest gift you can give a griever because they feel so alone. It's so it's so um, loneliness is such a powerful part of grief. It's so overwhelming because before Ruby and Hart died, I, I had lots of friends and family that mattered to me, but when Ruby and Hart were killed, nobody else mattered. It was just Ruby and Hart, and they were gone, so I felt alone. You know what I mean? It, 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 it logically doesn't make sense, but emotionally, that's how it felt. The only people who mattered to me were Ruby and Hart, and they were gone, so I was alone. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's shared by many people who've lost loved ones. In that, in that acute grief period, they feel so alone, and being there for them is so helpful. Uh, and, and oftentimes, in early grief, people don't want to be with people. They want to be alone. They think they want to be alone, right? Like, they, like, like I said, I don't want people to come to my house for Shiva. No. But I said, okay, because I don't know any better. I'll, I'll do whatever the Jews tell me to do, basically. And it worked. <laughs> you know? I was like, whatever my rabbi tells me, I'm going to do that. And, and it helped a lot. <laughs> She's also a very wise rabbi, but still. Um, uh, and so, so I think oftentimes people in early grief, they push away help. And so the friends and family are like, oh, I guess they want to be left alone forever. And it's no, no, not forever. Just, just that day, reach out again, reach out again, keep reaching out because that will change and they will desperately want to be with people um, at some point. And you said the, um, you've said this a couple of times in our conversation, the stories, mm. how important is it for you as the griever to hear stories about what causes you not caused you the grief but reminds you of the grief because this is a weird tightrope to say like when's the right time you know right. when should we do it when is it really helpful when is it just like rubbing salt on the wound this is really kind of a mm -hmm. really tightrope thing so what advice do you have for that yeah well I have a kind of radical not radical but I have a, a forceful opinion about that okay. <laughs> which is I know that there are some people out there who don't want to talk about the person who died. I know that th those people exist. Sure. But I also know that they're a very tiny minority. I know that the overwhelming amount of people who've lost someone want to talk about that person. Uh, and so, but I feel like our culture caters to the very tiny sliver that doesn't want to talk about the person. Because that's what most people say. They say, I don't want to remind them of their of their pain because... God forbid they get upset at that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I would say in my experience, encountering hundreds of people who've lost people, the vast, vast majority really desperately want to talk about that person. And I think that the, the tiny sliver minority that doesn't want to talk about them, I think, in my opinion, it's not so terrible if you do and they tell you, actually, I don't, I don't want to talk about that person right now. I don't, I don't think you've done a terrible, grievous, you know, um, crime to that person in grief by quote-unquote reminding them of their loss they haven't forgotten nobody's forgotten their loss right that's not real i don't ever forget that ruby and hart were killed that doesn't make any sense um so maybe i don't want to i don't want to no i always want to talk about them maybe somebody else doesn't want to talk about someone they lost i i think it's okay to make that mistake 
as opposed to abandoning all the rest of us who desperately want to talk about them. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And But let me ask you then, why do you believe yeah. that society, at least in the West here, where we're in, that that is the case, that we've been kind of talked to and taught, mm -hmm. even in movies, generally speaking. Oh, especially in movies. <laughs> Almost in always movies, in movies. They... What's very dramatic. Right, it's dramatic. It's Don't talk about them. Don't talk about them. I can't, I can't. Right, it's dramatic. It's more dramatic to see someone self-destruct in a corner than right. to actually open ourselves up. So that's what we have been taught growing up. Mm -hmm. So is that why you think that we are, I can't blame it all on the movies, yeah. but generally no. speaking here in the West. I we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I, yeah, I, th I think there is a, a big portion of that is is the movies and television that show us that you know the tougher the person, the more they'll just drink themselves to death and not talk about their loss. And I'm like that's not so tough. <laughs> you're you're running away from your grief, out. dude. Yeah, yeah come on. But I think also discomfort. It's uncomfortable to sit with somebody in grief. It's just uncomfortable um, to talk about loss and think about death. And it's so much easier to be like, oh, they want to be left alone forever. That makes or or I'll, I'll wait until they reach out to me. And it's like, no, you just reach out to them. It's okay. It's not going to, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, and I think just because in so many of these grief groups that I've been to, the, everyone starts talking about the aching and loss and, and, and the pain. And then very quickly, the conversation shifts to, how they've been abandoned by their friends and family every time, really? every time. Yep. And there, there's so much bitterness and anger and confusion and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because I feel like it's just a cultural miscommunication that people want to want to help people in loss, but we've got this, these like expectations that, you know, everybody grieves in their own way. So let's leave them alone to figure it out for themselves as opposed to we grieve in community and death is makes people feel very lonely and let's let's reach out and be with them in these moments as opposed to walking away from people in grief have you um by any chance kind of looked into how other cultures deal with grief in your in your writings and your studies yeah i i haven't done enough research although uh although a woman just talked to me just recently about a practice uh, in a West African country, a West African Muslim country, I don't want to say the wrong one because then I'd, I'm just ignorant, <laughs> but um, uh, it was so striking. She said that in this community where she grew up, uh, if somebody dies, it, the whole community like camps out at that person's house. It's like Shiva on steroids. <laughs> they just, they bring mattresses and sleep around to surround the person for a month. They're just like, yep, we're going to live over at their house now because they just lost somebody dear to them. They need and it's like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful and amazing. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think I think uh, there's a lot of great cultural models out there for to be grief supportive that we need to look into. That is beautiful. I mean, I can only imagine yeah. having, you know, 300 people. 
move into the backyard. <laughs> right, right. It sounds it sounds bad, I guess, but it's good. But it would never really work in America. People are like no. <laughs> um, it's, but it's it's interesting. Let me ask you because I mean, you are a writer. You and you are, you know, you you deal with humor a lot. You use humor a lot. How important is humor during the grieving process? Yeah, for me, it was, it remains helpful. You know, Ruby and Hart were, were funny people. <laughs> they enjoyed good, good jokes. Uh, and I talked about that in my book, like Ruby was such a, a character. She created this, this alternate character called Sven. And he was this very obnoxious Russian rug dealer um, who was always threatening his, his clients. Sometimes when you, when you call up Ruby, Sven would answer the phone and like threaten you over the phone with attack llamas and things. And say, Can you please put Ruby on the phone? <laughs> but no, she'd be Sven. Um, That's amazing. And, uh, and, uh, and she created an elaborate website. And you can actually look up Sven's rugs just as a joke. It must have taken her hours. It's this amazing, hilarious website with all these different pages of different rugs for sale. <laughs> it's ridiculous for a million dollars. One's called Ugly Rug, <laughs> um, but um, uh, and and Hart loved loved you know jokes that were like you know risque jokes. <laughs> um, he loved to be inappropriate uh, in a wonderful way, in a funny way. So so humor was always part of our family. And my wife is a is a comedy writer. She she's written for um, for sitcoms for you know over twenty years. So she's very funny. <laughs> so. Um, uh, yeah, so humor was always a part of our family. So it feels like we honor Ruby and Hart when we make jokes, dark jokes around death and grieving. Um, but it just helps me. It helps me, I guess, to navigate it. Yeah. How, how do you, and this is a tough, this is a tough line to walk as well. How do you advise other people around the, the grieving person to use humor? Because <laughs> I, ah, I remember yes. it was like, there was, one, I don't know if you know who Joey Diaz is. He's a stand-up comic, um, uh, no. very famous stand-up comic, but he's, he's the guy, he's like, anytime there's a loss with one of his friends, he would call him up like a day later and just give him the most ridiculous, crass, uh -huh. inappropriate joke about like, you know, so what do they leave you in the will? Like, you know, things like that. <laughs> right. And then, and they always said, man, Thank you for that. Thank you. So <laughs> because no one has the balls right. to do that, you know, to just call yeah. up the next day. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a rough, he's, a rough, he's a rough character. He's a rough yeah. character. <laughs> Maybe he's probably got friends who appreciate that, right? That's exactly. That, yeah, that's not a joke. But, but for other people around, you know, yeah, well, 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 there's this beautiful uh, tradition around Shiva. Um, so, so Shiva, for those of you who don't know, like I sort of mentioned it earlier, that uh, for the first week after the funeral, every night people come to your house and they sit with you. And there are a bunch of rules around how, how you're supposed to behave, which are very interesting. And one of them is you're not supposed to speak to the, to the, to the griever until they've spoken to you. So, and that for me is like, you take your cue from them. So right. if they, if they greet you and they're, and they're weeping, don't tell them a joke, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Timing. It's all timing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like take in where they are, right? Read the room. Basically what it's telling you. Read the room before step into a house of mourning and read the room. <laughs> right. And so, 
And if the if the griever is laughing, because they because we do, we go up and down, right? We cry, we laugh, it's complicated and it changes moment to moment. And so take your cue from the mourner. That's what I would say. So so I, I imagine this comic knows his friends and knows his friends oh, yeah. like these are other, dark other big big right. star, yeah, other big stars right. and stuff like that. that yeah. Yeah. So he, and, and as a comic, I'm sure he's very good at reading the room <laughs> and yeah. he could tell right away. Uh, you know, he picks up the phone and calls them. Just hearing their voice on the other line is going to tell them where they're at. You know, but but so that's that's what I would say. Read the room and follow the lead of the griever. And if they want to make dark jokes, then do it. Enter with them. And if they want to weep, weep. If they want to just be silent, then just sit with them in silence. Yeah. The the Jewish tradition of, of these rituals seem to be very, very powerful, and very like. The concept of someone in ancient times said, "Let the read the room. We got to put something in here, <laughs> right? Because some of these guys are idiots. We got to yeah, really they, set some rules here. <laughs> got to help these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's it's pretty uh, amazing. Like there, some of the there's like a strange one. That I thought was a strange one. Said, don't see live music for the first month." after someone's died. So, so the first month is called um, Shloshim, which means 30, the first 30 days after the death. And I was like, don't see live music, whatever. <laughs> and then I went to see a play. I went to see a play in honor of Ruby because she would have loved this play. It was about, she, Ruby was gay. And this play was about a lesbian um, uh, theater artist in, in the time of Nazi Germany. And so it was just like perfect. She would have loved this play, but I went, within that those first 30 days and seeing live people on on stage like being exuberantly alive was too painful it hurt to see people so full of life and i was like oh that's what that rule is about that's what the don't see live music is it's like it's too full of life and i wasn't ready i needed a little more time uh, so it's just like a piece of ancient wisdom that was like, oh, shoot, I should have listened. <laughs> I should have waited another week. I would have, it would have been better. It was hard. It was really hard to see these people. These guys, you young actors on stage, oh. you know, emoting about life and death. And it's just like, ah, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. It's too early for me. Any other, any other those little pieces of ancient wisdom that you can think of? Because they are, these are gold nuggets here, man. These yeah, are right. <laughs> who would have thought? Don't see live music or a live play, or right. arguably, don't even go see a movie at a theater. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah, too, too much life. There's an energy that art gives. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, I, I mean, I mean, this is a rough one, but um, so the actual the actual burial. Uh, so the Jewish tradition is that the central mourners, in this case, Gail and I, we uh, we throw the first handfuls of of dirt on the casket. So we yeah. we literally are burying our children with our bare hands. And then we sit and watch as the rest of our community picks up shovels and finishes the job. So we literally watch our community Ooh. bury our children. And it felt like that's like punishing, right? Like, why would you do that? Like, give, give these people a break. But actually, it helps because of denial, you know? It's so oh. hard to accept yeah. the reality. It's so hard. And that was helpful to be, it was painful, but helpful, like, yes. 
Now I see that friend throwing dirt on Ruby and Hart's coffin. Now I see that kid doing it. And it's like, it just helps to deal with denial because it's so powerful in the early days. It's so hard to believe it's real. Right, exactly. And it's not as brutal as having them say, you do it all. Uh, right, right. Yeah, you don't yeah, do the I, whole thing, right? You do the whole thing. You said, like, it's just right. enough. <laughs> it's just enough to, to really send the, 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 the signal to the brain. Yeah. It's that's such that's that's rough, but it's it's needed. It's this is not yeah. supposed to be cotton candy and rainbows and butterflies. Uh, yeah, yeah, process. yeah. We have to feel the pain. You know, we if you feel the love, you're going to feel the pain. That's that's the flip side of love is grief. Um, and we all, as you said, we all experience it. <laughs> We're all going to grieve. Now, Colin, let me ask you: What is the most significant piece of advice or message of hope that you can give to somebody who is going? through grief like you had? Yeah. Well, the hope, the, I guess the hope is that it, you know, it, it does change. Our relationship to the pain changes. In, in early grief, it's so awful and so full of despair um, and nausea. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so overwhelming. Um, and it can feel like this will never change because Ruby and Hart will be dead forever. So it'll never go away. I'll always feel this awful. Um, and I found it's, it's four years now. So the anniversary was, um, was the 12th, just a couple of days ago. Uh, and then the burial, we, I, we buried them on Father's Day. Um, so, uh, and, and so yesterday was Father's Day. Uh, so four years ago, I buried my children and, um, uh, it's changed. I, I'm in a very different place than I was. Uh, I still ache for them every day. Um, but, but the aching is not so scary. The pain is not, is not so scary. It's sort of like, uh, it's more welcome. Um, uh, because it's my connection to them is the love and the pain intertwined. Maybe is how I think of it. Um, and so that's the, the message of hope that I give um is that you know it's, and it's hard to believe it's hard to believe when you're in acute grief that it'll ever change but it does um definitely becomes more bearable and then the other piece of advice is is don't be afraid of the pain i was just, i was scared to cry to start crying to start weeping because i felt like i would never stop if i started weeping i would literally never stop and i would lose my mind that's what it felt like and then i discovered from weeping <laughs> over and over that that's not how, how it works. Um, it ebbs and flows um, and you sort of ride things out and, um, and, it, and, and things change over time as you, as you process, if you're not afraid of the grief, if you allow yourself to process it, uh, your relationship to it changes. I think if you put it in a box that then your relationship doesn't change to it and you're kind of freezing it in time. Um, Which is much more painful. I think ultimately, yes, I think it is. You have to, I mean, if you, you're at the end of the day, you're going to deal with it one way or another. Yeah. It's, it's not going away. It's, it, right. it is, it is a dragon <laughs> that you have to deal with. And yeah. I, I love your approach to this because it's, oh, thank you. You're, you're, you are, you're not fighting the dragon. You're dancing with him. <laughs> a sense. That's in a beautiful a sense. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. In a, in a sense, because you're not fighting with them anymore. Right. You know, you're not. You're just 
you are part of my life now and I'm going to dance with you during this process as opposed to putting him in uh, well thanks but putting him in a closet mm-hmm. and just god if he gets out oh god right. if he, and and living with that it's just compounding what you've dealt with so I hope yeah. that people listening to this and watching this use you uh, and use your journey as an example of how you could deal with this and how we could deal with this because it's something we're all, all of us are going to have to deal with at different levels here and there throughout our life. It, it's just part of why we're here. It's something that we all, everyone goes through every Yeah. Yeah. You know? Now, where can people pick up your amazing book and find out oh, more about what you're doing? I have a book too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can buy my book at any any bookstore or online, any bookstore that you, your, your your favorite local bookstore can order it for you, or they, maybe they have it in stock. Hopefully they have it in stock. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, but you can find out more information about it at colincampbellauthor.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I, you know the, the book is there uh, and links to buy it. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Colin Writer, well, Colin Campbell Writer, sorry, Colin Campbell Writer, <laughs> um, and colincampbellauthor.com, yeah. And where, if anybody wants to make a donation to Ruby, the Rubian Heart Foundation, where Oh, thank you. Yes, well, you can Google the Rubian Heart Foundation, and that'll, it'll pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only but it's one. On your website, but there's on your website as it, well, or no? You know, it's on my wife's website, and I think it's on mine, but I don't, I don't, it will be soon. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> okay, but um, we, can it, we can find it easily through through the through the master through the master that is Google. <laughs> exactly, the Ruby and Heart Foundation. Yep. And Colin, do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, well, thank you for listening. That's that's my parting words. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate people, you know, reading my book and thinking about Ruby and Heart and thinking about their own grief. My friend, I appreciate this conversation more than you can imagine. And I really, truly hope it helps people around the world deal with their grief. So I appreciate you and what you're doing for the planet, my friend. Thank you again. Thank you so much. I want to thank Colin so much for coming on the show and sharing his story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 312. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.